Is it wrong to say I hate a certain religious order? No. Okay, so <laughs> I'm looking at you, Dominicans. You bunch of jerks. <laughs> to be fair, they had three Dominicans. Right. First two die off. So to explain what was going on, we, we are currently at SLS 20. We are in Phoenix, Arizona. We are all together, and it's delightful. And one of the opportunities Father Harrison and I had was to be on the... Uh, a quizzical podcast and so it was us versus not one not two but three dominicans so they're outside the van okay right and just so this is another weird thing so we talked about this for our live show but uh the podcasting setup was in this like bus not a bus like a minivan yep. right so we're in there and we we kicked the dominicans out so that part was good right yeah, and then we did a bar trivia podcast and it was like all kinds of regular old trivia mm-hmm. and it was kind of based on catholic twitter and stuff and to be honest, I thought for sure that we were going to lose because yeah. we, we are theologians, right. right? So we actually do theology. Yeah. All Dominicans do is memorize books. Exactly. Right. Especially so St. especially St. Thomas, especially. Right. So they haven't done first the- part. Second question. I don't care. Yeah. So they, they haven't done theology in 800 years, Father Harrison. So I knew we were down. Right. We did an OK job. We did an OK job. But at the end, the Dominicans beat us. Yeah, because geography. It was a geography question. Who cares about geography? No. Do you care about geography? Everything belongs. What good does geography do? <laughs> why why make distinctions about geography when everything belongs to our Lord? That's right. This is all his kingdom anyway, right? Yes. So we lost. Yes. And that was very disappointing. <laughs> but other than that, SLS has been great. It's been really awesome. How's yeah. how's your experience been so far? Lots of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I've not been sleeping well this week. No. I mean, so we were supposed to get two double beds with a cot. Right. Instead, there's the king bed, and so obviously the brothers share the king bed. Oh yeah, so, so producer Nick is with us, yeah. right underneath the air vent. Mm-hmm. It's been fun. It's been fun. Got to suffer. Got to suffer. It almost brings me back to. It's definitely nicer than seminary. Oh yeah. So like, <laughs> so we are kind of used to this, where yeah. like you sleep on a single bed. You've got radiators that go off like cannon shots in the middle of the night during the winter, at least for us. And so this is better than that. It's a oh, step absolutely. up. This is nice. But you know, got a sixty-five inch TV or something like that in here. Is right. Like, even though we haven't used it, we haven't used it. We should we should watch more uh, professional wrestling. You loved it. You loved it. I liked some of it. You liked. You loved it. I liked some of it. I liked some of it. <laughs> But we're not here alone. We're not. So we have producer Nick here, but we're not letting him speak. Yeah. <laughs> producer Nick leaned into the mic and I stopped that. You're welcome. <laughs> Father Harrison, would you like to introduce our guest? We have from the, we have Father Michael Laughlin here from, uh, as everyone knows from Catholic Stuff You Should Know, now in LA. So yeah. uh, welcome, Father Michael. Voice actor for Father Harrison. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Great imitation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were just running into him, and it's like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? He's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, so Do great. It. So welcome. I don't get nervous anymore at all exactly. after you, six years of yeah, doing exactly, this. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you, this is going to be the first podcast you get to read a tweet on, and we get a comment all on right. it. All right. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah. So how's the conference been for you? Really good. It is, uh, I run into people that I haven't seen in years, uh, college friends, now that I've been moved to LA, people from back in Denver I haven't seen in a while, and uh, obviously great talks. I'm glad I got that little journal. I've written down a couple quotes from each talk I've been to, and that mm-hmm. was good. Ran into people, met you guys for the first time, except you yeah, met Father Harrison a while ago. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's been nice. really good. And my sister's here, and I got to hold my nephew uh, for the second time ever. So oh, wow. that was beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's your sister? Uh, she, everybody's in Denver. My entire okay. family, okay. 16 nieces and nephews, oh, wow. four siblings, parents, they're all in Colorado. And uh, so there have been two babies born since I left four months ago. So I got to hold wow. one of them oh, just nice. now. It was nice. awesome. That's awesome. What, what, what talk has been the highlight for you? Honestly, the, the John Leyendecker, um, I went to one of his talks and it was he, 
he's a great speaker. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I was really like listening to him a, a lot about how does he do pacing? How to, I mean, like, theology is great, but, but also how is he such a good speaker? Very laid back. And he had a couple one-liners that were just brilliant. One was like, if you're bored in mass, it's because you're a spectator. Wow. Take that, people being yeah. bored at mass. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, that, that's, it's so simple. But it, yeah, it's true. I mean, if, if you're actively participating, then you 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 help with the lack of boredom. Right. If you're just watching entertainment, then then you're bored. So yeah. I'm really glad you didn't say the best talk was Father Mike Schmitz, because if you yeah. did, we have to kick you off the podcast. <laughs> I actually did not go to the podcast, so. <laughs> so I have this just to explain, because people get all uppity. So... Father Michael Schmitz is actually a really good, really holy guy, Yes, which yes. is why I enjoy making fun of him so much, yes. even though we've never really spoken. But yeah. there you go. There we go. We have made fun of him on our podcast as well. And I, I at the time I claim that I will always claim it's just jealousy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'll be honest. In, like, in most ways. Yeah. <laughs> what really got me with the jealousy, I'm sure I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I was like, well, you, at least I've got the beard and he has not the beard. He grew out his beard. <laughs> it is like 90 times better than my beard. With that like, chiseled chin, it's like, it's, it's, it's perfect. Uh, it's rough. It's rough. But uh, puts all our beards to shame. Yeah, it really does. It does. One yeah. of my favorite Father Mike Schmidt stories, though, and this is just to rag on him a bit. Um, I, I didn't even meet him at this time, but I was supposed to I was going to fly in at Seek last year and give um, Leah Darrow is my one of my closest friends. And she was giving the opening uh, talk, the keynote. And so she said, can you come pray over me beforehand? Cause I'm a bit nervous. I said, sure. So our, our flight's delayed. And so we don't I don't make it in. So she says, I'll get somebody else to do it. Then I find out later that who she got was Father Mike Schmitz. So she has four kids and all the kids know me, of course. So she walks up Father Mike Schmitz. Prays over, puts his hand on her back, and Ambrose, her son, goes walk up, starts ra- like railing on him, like pounding on him. Don't touch my mom! Like, <laughs> this poor priest is trying to pray over here. I'm like, that's hilarious. Poor guy. He just kept up praying. He just pushed through, you know, right, as right. he should. I'm also kind of intimidated by Father Mike Schmitz because I exercise, I lift. You're a lifting boy. I'm a lifting boy. Yeah. But I think lifting fella. A lifting will. fella. But I think yeah. Father Mike Schmitz can lift more than me. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit more about lifting and all kinds of things in the Summa Tweetologica. What's the name of the podcast? We never introduced the podcast. Thank oh you, producer. We're just Nick. so excited. Hey, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. Guest Father Michael Lachlan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <There you laughs> go. And now it's time, if that's okay with you, producer, producer Nick. You you get into your place. <laughs> this is why you pay me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We love you. We love you, producer Nick. And we know what the people love. They love the Summa. Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about the Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Do I get extra points for like two transitions? Sure. Okay, but we lost the first one. Basically, this is a tweet. Father Harrison, just take it away. Oh, wait, no, first, 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 okay. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, Father Harrison. This is from at Katie Noti, Katie Jean, uh, fellow Canadian, fellow Canadian, Mm. on the other coast. Mm. All the regular gym goers are confused by the same people churchgoers were confused by at Christmas. I just love this. 
Because it's true. It's like, you know, you get the New Year's resolutions going and people are like, yeah, 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 like, let's get to the gym. And everyone, the regulars are just looking like, who's this new person in the, like, I don't know, the brand new shoes. And then you don't see them again for six months because maybe they'll, they'll, you know. Yeah, I just thought it was a neat little comparison like between the, the Creasters and the, mm-hmm. the, the gym guys. Right, but I, I have yeah. a, I have a positive, and this has changed because I used to be much more cynical because every seminarian is very cynical. But now that I'm a priest, I'm much holier and less cynical. And uh, so... For me, I have a, a an optimistic outlook on both the Creasters and the gym goers. Mm-hmm. Like for the Creasters, I'm like, okay, this is mass. Let's do it well. And let's, you know, do it in a way that will attract them to the truth. Right. Right. So, and like, you never know. Cause I, I mean, I've um, had people, parishioners, uh, directees who either wandered into a daily mass or showed up on Easter or Christmas or were at a funeral and something went on there where their hearts were just a little bit more open to God's grace in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what hooked them in. Yeah. And now they're very faithful. Same thing with the gym goers. Yeah, what, what hooks a gym person in? Well, I always root for like, hey, you're new. I know it's hard, but let's do it. I'm not actually going to talk to them because talking to people in the gym is super annoying. But um, as long, this is my one rule, as long as you're there to do work, you can do it, right? But if you're there to like chat and you're just like hanging on my machine for a long time, or if you're just doing curls in the squat rack, then just go away because I don't have a whole lot of time to work out and you're messing up my vibe. So there you go. There you go. Do you have any, any comments on, on gym goers on New Year's versus Creasters, uh, Father Mike? Yeah, I uh, I don't spend much time in the gym. Um, so, <laughs> But I have a lot of experience yes. in, in uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, I just, I, I've always thought, um, and this is just to bring me peace. I don't feel intimidated or like a failure. But if you just throw out a couple one-liners as a priest in your homily, and you, you th- those hopefully sit in people's hearts until the Holy Spirit enlivens it later on. And I'm like, they might come back 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And so that's my job. I'm not going to, as much as I want to like shame them and criticize them, right. you know, which is, which is in the sinful part of my heart. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to throw out a couple of things like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say welcome. This is a soft landing pad whenever you want to come back. Um, you know, even if your parents die and you're here for them, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. come back and we'll make it easy for you as much as possible. Nice. Cool. All right. So this one is from at the G is silence, the ever famous Tommy Ty. And so he has this little, he does these scenarios via Twitter. Okay. Yes. So priest walking up to start the homily, me to myself, don't say it, please don't say it. Priest, I'm not touching that second reading with a 10 foot pull, me sighing. Well, at least don't laugh. Please don't laugh. Congregation breaks out into hysterical laughter. Me, deep sigh. And so this was three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We had the famous reading from Paul. And it's a beautiful reading about love and all that good stuff. And then that last little paragraph, it starts off with something like, "Husband, no, wives be submissive to your husbands. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things that like, I remember growing up with that sort of thing happening where either you make a joke about a reading or you kind of avoid a whole thing. And I remember, like, can you please tell me what this means? Because I don't know, right? So seeing that kind of hunger not being fulfilled is kind of disappointing and difficult. And there can be a thousand reasons why that's going on or whatever, but go for the tough stuff. You know, there's answers out there. And when you ignore that kind of stuff, it sends this message that, you know what? Our religion isn't really serious about scripture. Our, religious, our religion isn't really serious about this kind of truth thing. So you kind of put in the extra effort. And it's also kind of disappointing when you get that laugh from the congregation, because then that feels like, oh, do they care? Mm-hmm. But they do. They do. But they're just kind of going along because <laughs> this is a tough thing. Like if you're, um, if you're a parishioner, you're kind of captured by your priests in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So 
if the priest is giving his heart and really doing his best to serve the liturgy, to worship God, it's a good thing. But if he wants to make it about himself, you're kind of stuck there for that. And that's tough. So one of the things, there's two things with this. First is one of the things I saw a lot on Twitter around those readings was people were like, there were some priests out there saying like, you, you pretty much have to preach on that. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, no, right. You got to pray with your readings too. And sometimes like, cause the other thing is those come up a few times in scripture. So there's other opportunities to preach on it. It doesn't have to be today. So like, I didn't pray on it. I, I, I didn't preach on it. I preached on, I preached on, uh, the prayer life of the Holy family. Mm. Um, and that's fine. But you can just, uh, you got to pray with what your your parish needs to hear. And, yeah. and maybe they don't need to hear that right now or whatever, right? So I think that's an important thing. But the other thing is, I, I agree, I, I don't like this idea of like, I get the awkwardness of it all. But then it's like, it can plant a seed of, is this, do we really take the scriptures seriously? Yeah. And that's what worries me because that can undermine that can undermine a lot, a lot of the roots of faith. Yeah, I don't know who uh, who this priest was, and he should he should go unnamed. But I, yes. I do, th- I do think <laughs> there's something about most priests, and I, I fond of this too after preaching mm-hmm. for 14 years. Most priests that we're looking for the affirmation, and so actually a laugh means more to me sometimes right. than somebody's growth because I don't right. see it. So I, I will say, like, <laughs> <laughs> right, the best thing to do is probably like if I know I'm like I probably just started out that homily with. His what he said, and then actually said, "Just kidding, I am going to preach yeah, on yeah, it." Yeah, you know, yeah, something like that, because I, I I do think it is engaging to be funny, and I love oh yeah, I love stories. But you're right, and in the Byzantine Church, you don't choose your readings for your wedding. You get that reading oh, at yeah. your wedding. You get oh, Ephesians five every single wedding. <laughs> so you, 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 you get Ephesians five, and you get the, you get the uh, um, wedding at Cana. Nice. That's that's what you get. And so it's so I actually did my 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 thesis, my master's thesis on the Byzantine ritual of marriage, and then uh, three homilies, three wedding homilies on the ritual and then epistle and then gospel. Interesting. So I've, I've put a lot of work into it. I'm glad because that is, you get those questions all the time, of Absolutely. course, from people. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, Father Mike, you've got, a, you've got a tweet you want to talk about, don't you? I do, and I, I need to pull this up. Oh, Father Nathan Goble just texted me. Um, he's here. Okay, so uh, the, en- the enemy just texted yeah. you. Wow. <laughs> the other one I'm very jealous of. <laughs> I'm not jealous of his beard at all, though. But <laughs> other than that, I've, I've actually been very jealous of his humor. I went through this whole stage he's hilarious. of like telling our Lord, why didn't you give me a sense of humor like that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just to the laugh track on the podcast because he's the funniest <laughs> man I know. And our Lord was just like, I didn't want you to have him. <laughs> I feel like Job right now. Okay, um, so this is at uh, Red 10 Meg. And this, I don't I don't, I don't even know how long ago this tweet was. It was just what introduced me to this group here of like being on Twitter. And and all the tweets said I laughed for days was just marry me, you cowards. And <laughs> I, I, I have had so many female directees that were single and frustrated that just wanted to say that. And just like the, Twitter is the only place where you could say it that bluntly and just kind of shout it to the world yeah. and then let it go. And I just I laughed and laughed and laughed. So, yeah, it was a long, long time ago. But I, that was my favorite tweet of all time. I think <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, we're we're very pro marriage on this podcast, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, duh. <laughs> and it, it's it is a really bad, like it's really bad. And I, I think I feel for for Catholic women, especially in one sense, because it seems to me there's a lot more Catholic women than there are Catholic guys. Although at this conference, I'm like, there's a lot of guys here. There like, are a lot there's of a lot of marriage that can happen, and also a lot of priesthood. Mm-hmm. But a lot of marriage can happen out of this conference. And I'm like, but you got guys, like you just gotta just just take some initiative and say, hey, want to go on a date? Hey, want to? Gra- this is my this is my this is always Father Harrison's dating advice one on one. Right. Ask a girl for coffee and just remember, it's just coffee. 
it has no eternal consequence per se. It may, but it doesn't. If it doesn't work out, fine. You go ask another girl for coffee. And girls, it's just coffee. He's just asking you for coffee. Oh, oh producer yeah. Nick. So one time I took a girl to just coffee and I said to her, hey, can I buy you your coffee? And she looks at me and says, you're buying me this coffee. You you're offering to buy me this coffee because you don't think I can pay for it because I'm a woman. And then for the next hour, she yelled at me. <laughs> And she said it was the best date she's ever had. I'm like, it's because I didn't talk. <laughs> Thanks for buying me the coffee, though. So sometimes, no, it's not just coffee. Well, it's, it's supposed to be just coffee. Wait, wait, though, this is a serious point, though. I do think, I do think it's, it's so uh, men have to choose suffering in a way that women don't. Right. Right. In a certain sense, I think women are given suffering through, um, through childbirth and men in a sense, and we can go deeper into this. I'm, I'm speaking very off the cuff now have to choose that. So you have to be willing to go through that awkwardness for or her. humiliation. Yeah. Or humiliation. Yeah. Right. And the good news is Nick, you've got a great story. You knew from the first five minutes, this wasn't going to work. So there you go. You got to answer your question. Is this the person, the one? No. no easy discernment. And then you can offer up all that awkwardness to the Lord. How many souls in purgatory could you have freed? Maybe billions. Maybe billions with your with your feminist date. It's so so it's yeah, yeah, it's messy, but that's all vocations are kind of messy, messy that but way. Here's the other thing. It's yeah. I think there's still a bit of a mindset in a lot of people of is this the person God wants for me? Mm. And I, I understand the question. Right. But also we talked about this last week on sort our of. live podcast. Sort of, maybe. So we're gonna pull back maybe. the curtain just a little bit. Maybe. So we are recording right now before our, the podcast that was published last week <laughs> and our podcast that we are going to do, which already happened last week was on vocation. So That's I want right. to make sure we say, well, I may content. or may not talk about this. Who knows? Who knows? Only Who, God knows to say, right? Whom's is to say indeed. Uh, <laughs> but you know, if God's calling you to marriage, it's my experience is it's like, it's not like God has chosen a soulmate for you per se either. Like, like, there's often a lot of people who can be compatible for you for marriage. And and then they got it, they, God has called you that natural vocation to marriage. So now it's about finding someone who's compatible who's going to lead you to heaven with them. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's the discernment. And that's a very natural discernment in a way. Yes, there should be prayer. But like, I just feel like we over discern sure. in this regard. It's like, no, no, just like, just, just, you got to throw darts at the dartboard, guys. And give yourself some more credit. You yeah. think there's only one person out there for you? You're a wonderful person. Yeah. There's a bunch of other wonderful people out there, <laughs> right? Okay, there's not just one. You're great, right? Tell yourself that in the mirror before you go into your day. I'm great. I'm going to find someone else who's great. And now, because I'm bad at transitions, it's time. Wait, wait. What <laughs> do we do? What's our transition for this? What's our bumper for this? It's presbyteral. Is it presbyteral? Oh, yeah. because he's, he's, he's a priest. priest. Okay. Nick, yeah, cut all good. that out. So <laughs> now it is time for presbyteral <laughs> exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yes. yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. We're not going to make you do a special, like, Byzantine um, bumper for this. Good. Though I think you could do I'm a great really job. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to do a Byzantine bumper? I do. That'd be kind of just funny. Like, just like, I, I don't even know what a bumper is. But 
Wow. Okay. So like you don't listen to this I'm podcast. <laughs> okay. so I actually got very insecure about that because I haven't, but I will. I promise. But but Father Josh Mayer, yeah. your friend and mine, yeah. said that he had not listened to it either before he went on. So I, and, I'm and fa- well, Father Josh, I give him a little bit of an excuse. He says okay. he doesn't listen to friends podcasts, so he never listened to Catholics. I don't either. listen to podcasts at all. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I, I had never listened to a single one before I went on mine. Yeah. And I've li- maybe listened to three since then. That's Interesting. it. Interesting. In, my, in my whole life, so I it's just not a thing. So it, it's all don't take it's it personally. In real life, we really. Don't. It's just a fun thing we do. Yeah. People who listen is great. People don't listen. We don't care about you as a human being. So it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And they're not going to hear that because they don't right. listen. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Go, go, go ahead. Take go, it go, away. Go, go ahead. Okay. So, Father Mike, we have you here, and you are a Byzantine priest. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, what does it mean to be an Eastern Rite priest? Um, how did you become one? What? How, just. Take it away if you can. So I'll try to be as brief as possible. I talk quickly anyway. But um, so there are 24 different churches within the Universal Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is one of those is by far the biggest. So there are priests and bishops of all the other 23 different Catholic churches. I am one of those of the the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church. Uh, we have four dioceses in the U.S. Uh, one of them is in here in Phoenix. And then we have pretty much Colorado and West is our eparchy. So Ooh. I could get moved to serve in a parish anywhere in there. Um, most of our priests are married. We give Eucharist to infants. That, that's kind of the two big things that, that, are, that are different. Um, that, and I could... Plus your liturgy's boss. Thank you. Thank you. And that, that's actually what drew me in. That's a good bumper, if that's what bumper means. Um, so like, that, 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 that was my... <laughs> What's a bumper? Wrong answers only. Okay. <laughs> so so my when I was 17 years old, my family went to a Byzantine liturgy for the first time in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was the oldest of five. And all five kids, my sister was probably four, so she couldn't say much. But um, all, all five of us said, that's now our home. That's, yeah. This is what we want. And both my parents were kind of like, yeah, that was beautiful, but, you know, we could take it or leave it. Um, sorry, Mom. Um, but that, that's kind of how she was at the time. And then all of us said we want to go back. So we went back the next week. Literally the next Sunday, we walked in again, and we were serving at the altar. Me and my brothers were serving wow. at the altar after one week. And being up there and seeing the liturgy. So after that, I went to college, and I went to Thomas Aquinas College. There was no opportunity for Byzantine liturgy. I came back for a year because I failed out of TAC, and I came back for a year, did community college, went to the Byzantine Church, went off to Steubenville, had limited experience. Um, and then, But then I started at Steubenville reading up on the Byzantine spirituality, the reason for the smells and the bells, the the you know the mysticism, the the awe, all that stuff. And it, it just I said this is how I've been praying my whole life in my mm-hmm. private prayer. Mm-hmm. So this external liturgical and sacramental way of of showing this is just it's my heart. Yeah. So then I went to seminary, learned even more, of course, at that point, and then I got ordained back in 2005, a Byzantine Catholic priest for the Eparchy of Phoenix. And then served for 14 years in Denver, and just four months ago on September 1st, got moved to uh, the Proto-Cathedral of St. Mary in Sherman Oaks, California, Los Angeles. Amazing. So normally, the, the way the rites get passed down is through family lineage. So were your parents Roman? And if so, or if not, how did you yeah. become Byzantine? Yeah, I found out recently um, through Ancestry.com that I am 100% Irish. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I used to think yeah, it's that it's very I was, rare to find a Byzantine priest named Olafson, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to think my whole family thought that my mom thought she was half Basque and we thought we were quarter Basque mm-hmm. and we found out that something shenanigans happened. Shenanigans uh, is a good word for that. <laughs> with the previous generation and uh, the Irishman came into the situation and not the Basque guy. Um, so <laughs> whatever happened within shenanigans, we are 100% Irish. Um, nice. But uh, so, yeah, I grew up Roman Catholic. My parents are living saints. 
um, absolutely incredible. Uh, but my mom always knew more than the priest did. And yeah. so for years, she she would correct his homilies on the drive home. <laughs> and and so we'd always, we'd be listening. And then my poor mother would have to say, okay, boys, we know you love the priest and, you know, you should love him. But here's a couple things he said that aren't true. And and finally, she just got exhausted with it. She was sick of it. And so mm-hmm. she went to the a Roman Catholic priest that was retired that she trusted and said, where can we go? He said, there's a great Roman Catholic church about probably 45 minutes away. And there's actually a Byzantine Catholic church right on the street. And you ever you ever been there? My parents had been a, a while ago, but never really came back. So we went there. That was that next Sunday and, and never looked back. Right. So what's actually then the process of like switching rights? Yeah. So if you want to officially switch rights, you don't you don't need to unless you unless your child's being baptized, you're getting married, etc. But so you can go to a Byzantine right church um, and receive the Eucharist. It covers any obligation, etc. Most people don't know those things. Um, so the, but the process is pretty much you write a letter to the bishop you want to go to. So mm-hmm. you, you actually leave your bishop, your your Roman Catholic bishop to go to your Byzantine Catholic bishop or the other way around. So you write to the one, then he, if he wants to accept you, because you write a letter explaining why, mm-hmm. if he wants to accept you, then he writes to your current bishop mm-hmm. and asks. And that's what that is. It's a letter between bishops. Mm-hmm. It used to have to go to Rome, but because the United States is such a melting pot, um, they, they said, we're just going to do it among the bishops. So you write that letter. The letter gets approved and accepted. You get a letter back. You sign it. And you've now just canonically switched rights. Yeah. All right. There you go. So I've heard, I've heard rumors. I don't know if this is true or not, that when a Roman male transfers rights— the Roman bishop will say transfer it under condition that like um, can't be a married priest. Bishops have done that. Okay, that that's that's certainly not common though. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, but but it is especially now that Pope Francis opened the doors back up again for us to have a married priest in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bishops that will that will suspect or might suspect, especially that a specific man is doing it in order to pursue ordination, and then they can put that in the letter. But but that, that, even that being in the letter does not actually affect it. Once the rights are switched, right. you've switched rights, right. and okay. so he can put that in there to kind of right. warn the Byzantine bishop. Yeah. you know. I, I, I suspect this, but the but it doesn't matter. As soon as he's under that Byzantine bishop, there, you know, he's good. So can you explain? Because like I think for a lot of our, our listeners, um, they're Roman, and so a lot of them have not been exposed to Eastern Christianity yet much. Because um, yeah, there's there is a strong tradition in Eastern Christianity of married priests, mm-hmm. and you're a celibate priest. So right. like, how does that like yeah, how does that work? How did that work in discernment for you and stuff like that? Yeah. That 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 was my big discernment. I I wanted to be a priest from the day I was born. I I don't know why I wouldn't want to be a priest. I was, mm-hmm. I I wanted to be a helping profession, and every helping profession I thought about only helps people that are sick in the head or sick in the body or mm-hmm. sick in time. But we all need spiritual, you know, and we all need spiritual help. We need we need we need that kind of healing all the time. And so it just when I found out that that's what a priest does, I thought <laughs> that's what I want. But growing up Roman Catholic, of course, I discovered girls, and that mm-hmm. was kind of out the window for a while I mean, hit puberty and all the hormones are raging and like why would anybody not want to be married um, so then when I became Byzantine when I started going to Byzantine parish I started opening up that door to that and then that's actually why I why I applied to change rights was because I was in love and oh. and also so I probably would have delayed it a little bit longer but I applied for the change of right just so that there wouldn't be that tension because I did it the wrong way. I did it in order to be a married priest um, because I really wanted to be a priest. I ended up with with that girl discerning celibacy, um, hmm. not you know separately from her, but but through through my discernment process. Um, and then so then uh, by the time I went to seminary, I was already pretty darn sure I was called to celibacy. Right. Um, and then, uh, but it, it did, the celibacy was the big question in my mind for a long time, you know, 
that that my love language is physical touch. I love the companionship aspect mm-hmm. of it, and I'm celibate. So yeah, because like so I, cause I have, yeah, there's a guy That's I went to cross. seminary with. He yeah. found out that he was actually Eastern, so he transferred to an Eastern seminary, mm. and he was just it was very interesting hearing from him how guys like while they're in seminary they're also making the discernment about mm-hmm. marriage at the same time, and I'm like that is so foreign to yeah. the Roman experience. It's like you go on, yeah. you're allowed. My 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 rector always said you can go on one date. You're allowed one date because that's your last date yeah. as a seminary. <laughs> oh, because then they kick you out. Yeah, okay. Then you're gone, right? Like, what kind so of seminary this? is this? You get a freebie? No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so it's very interesting that that's, that's, like, yeah. that's such a cultural shift for. And you know what? I actually disagree with that that method. Well, guys yeah. do it all the time, but there's yeah. there's something about, and I've told this to our seminarians. Yeah. I said. I said, there'll be second, third year seminarians. Yeah. I said, are you discerning marriage or celibacy? And they said, well, I don't know. I'm open. And I said, look, one year is not enough time yeah. to discern celibacy. Like, yeah. you know, even, and they're saying that right up to the diaconate. And yeah. I said, you, like for me, I needed that full three years before being ordained the deacon mm-hmm. to be sure and to test it out because you, I, for Roman and Byzantine seminarians, you have to, I believe you have to discern those two separately. Yeah. You need to discern celibacy first because right. what happens is, is what if, I'm, I, I know I'm throwing a huge elephant in the room here, but what 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 if what if the Roman Catholic Church changed the rule, which it could, and all of a sudden said we can now have married priesthood? Imagine right. saying I would have had that five years ago, and now yeah. you're a forty year old priest. Yeah. You totally would have been a married priest, and now the rule changed. Like th- that's what happened with many of us. Right. All of a sudden the rule changed, right. and I so when before the rule changed for us, I said I know it's on its way. So there's no way I'm going to regret this because that would be debilitating to right. me. I need to discern celibacy 100%. So I go in co- with confidence, having prayed through it and decided mm-hmm. this is what I want because God wants it for me, mm-hmm. and then I can do it. So I, guys that are the guys that are kind of discerning in seminary, unless they maybe first year maybe, but right. after that you need to be pretty sure what you're going to do. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean you see in that uh, a major difference, and I think this is what trips a lot of people up in discernment is that. They're not willing to give their complete yes to God. What the temptation is, and I exp- everyone experiences who discerns, like, okay, okay, God, I know you're calling me to something. How can I fit your call into what I want, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's not the way you discern, right? And like even the fact that you discern celibacy and with just your human personality and who you are, that's a testament to God. He calls who he calls. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's beautiful. Um, so what's... I guess uh, two questions. So one, what's it like in a Byzantine seminary? And in particular, when you've got that kind of other option of discerning mm-hmm. marriage as long, you know, along with priesthood. And then um, what's it like just in the community of Byzantine priests? Yeah. Like you have brother priests who are married, brother priests mm-hmm. who are not. How does that work? Yeah. yeah. Um, in seminary, it's it's similar to what I saw at Steubenville. So, you know, there, there was an opportunity to go to a high school seminary for me. I was so zealous, you know, maybe a, a college seminary, but I needed a normal world. So like I needed a normal college. I needed, I needed women around me. And one thing I realized, especially now moving to a different parish has very few children. Like I love being around women and children, families. I love being around all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, having women and kids around the seminary was great. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it actually only built up my, my desire for celibacy and, the, the immensity of saying what whatever I'm attracted to in this that I see around me all the time, mm-hmm. God, you're going to have to fulfill that mm-hmm. in my celibacy. Like he's not going to replace it with anything, but he, he might just say, this is your sacrifice. But I need that sacrifice to be known black and white. Mm-hmm. So having them around was not a distraction at all for me. It might be for different guys, but it wasn't for me. So I, I loved I loved having the the women and children around that that atmosphere because this is who we're going to serve, right? Yeah, we're not, we're not going out to serve a bunch of men. We're going to serve families. So when they're around us in seminary, 
seminary every day. It was wonderful. You know, the wives would come in, uh, wives and girlfriends and fiancés would come into the classes. They were allowed to sit on them. You know, they were learning right alongside of us. Um, you know, there's always a kid to carry around or go get food for or whatever. <laughs> and I, I loved it. Um, among the Byzantine priests, it's, um, it's funny you ask because I've never really thought about that. It's it's there are a lot of wives and kids around, um, but I, I've never I only see my brother priest twice a year because we're so far apart. Yeah. But but when I when I see them, I don't my, I'm not saying this guy's a celibate, this guy's married. So I like mm-hmm. bond with them differently, although although I probably should. I mean, there, there should be a community among the celibates that I'm more intentional about mm-hmm. than the one with the married men, because the married men have community and the celibates are probably like me needing community looking for. So I should probably be more intentional. Um, but there's really no difference when I see them. I, I don't even think if they're married or not. It's just mm-hmm. we're two brother priests. Yeah. So one of the things like just, you know, talking to you on, on Twitter and then meeting with you last year was uh, I know that you, when you went to Denver, you went to like a really small parish, mm-hmm. right? And then you kind of grew it over those 14 years. And now you've been moved to a new parish, which is small, small right? Yeah. <laughs> 50 people, you said? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a, that's not a lot of people, right? <laughs> not at all. So what were some of your, your successes that helped you build up your parish that you mm-hmm. thought, okay, this works and... I think this is even maybe, I mean, it's always going to be different for each parish, obviously, but like, yeah, what were the, some of the methods that you found that helpful for evangelization or for just drawing people back into the life of the church? I need to be falsely humble for a second, but okay. of course it's Jesus who built it. Yes. But yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but, but yes, I mean, there, there yeah. were certainly, I desired to grow it and I, mm-hmm. I wanted to give my entire self to this parish because they, they were the reason for me being a priest. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the people who I'm going to be responsible for their souls. And I took that very, very seriously, but um, pretty much, so, for instance, there, there's sometimes somebody has success at a thing. You need someone else to speak into it, and then you can speak into it. So, for instance, I was asked to give a, a talk at a homeschool conference in Denver, and almost every talk I give is about the Byzantine Catholic Church, yeah. just because it's so unknown. And I asked the, the founder, I said, so you want me to talk on the Byzantine Catholic Church? He said, no, no, no. Um, we know your family. We know your siblings. We want, and they're all in the church, and all my nieces and nephews are in the church. They said, we want you to talk about what your parents did right. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to take some prep and, and really some eloquence. So I went to my mom and I just said, Mom, what did you do right? And I said, I'm giving a talk on it. And, and she, no hesitation. She said, she said, the one thing I did right was that the moment I found out I was pregnant with you, I consecrated you to the mother of God. Hmm. Like, I, I, I passed you off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't. I, I can't. Yeah. I'm not going to be a very good mother. I can't watch all the time. That's why I'm named Michael. I'm her oldest. She wanted the strongest angel, you know, because <laughs> she was so paranoid about not being able to take care of us. So this is what she did. So she said that consecration, that tagging out, that handing off was, was what. And, and our, so our lady cared for you guys your whole life. Hmm. And so um, the one thing that happened with me was that uh, a visiting priest came uh, from Cleveland and he went hiking with a bunch of my parishioners. They, they hiked a 14 or I couldn't come. And and a bunch of the, a bunch of the women were with him. And so she, uh, they were talking about how much they loved me on the hike. And so as any priest would, I would do the same thing. You say, well, like, why? Yeah. Why do you love your pastor so much? Mm-hmm. And it took them a second to think about it. And they said... Because he loves our kids. Like mm-hmm. I preach a children's mm-hmm. homily every single Sunday. I make it very, very well known yeah. that I don't mind the noise and I, I don't, I let, let the kids be kids and I, and I love it. And that I thrive in that. My ADD helps with that too, because it, it doesn't really matter if there's noise or not. I, I'm doing the same thing. Um, so, so that was what I thought, you know, that is definitely true where I will go out of my way to make sure that, that the, the kids and the young people 
um, that they feel very welcome there. And we lost some parishioners because of the noise. I mean, you always have to risk that we, because the noise and the commotion. At one point, we just took all the pews out of the church because that's a Byzantine tradition, standing room only. But the kids go crazy when it's standing room only. It's like <laughs> yeah. a big dance floor for the whole yeah. liturgy. Yeah. So it got more rowdy when that happened. Um, but but it's and but the moms loved it, you know, because they felt a certain sisterhood with the other moms who were trying to crowd the kids and and everything like that. So I, I think at, at the heart of it was once you get a family or two and you just show that you're there to invest in families and you're you're willing to go way out of your way and and be inconvenienced for the sake of those families and then you just have to be intentional about those who don't have families, older people, widows, widowers, single people. That they're the ones you kind of have to say. Well, if I'm if I'm focusing here now i need to intentionally reach out to them too and that's a bit harder for me so i just do it intentionally and mm-hmm. and the parish grew because the families met each other and knew each other and hung out outside of church even when you did the children's homily did you also do like another homily for everyone yes. else how, so how long would you preach for so i i've now been recording my homilies every sunday and yeah. i go i go about 15 17 minutes okay. so about five minutes children 10 minute adult okay. interesting yeah. interesting but the, every, almost every adult will tell you, except one. I had one I have one woman back in the neighborhood who used to criticize me every time. Um, but but they would say, I get more out of the children's homily. So they love the fact that it's—and it's, you, you can literally not—you can preach the most basic things without being patronizing at all. Right. right. So you, you can just—the basic basics. So that's interesting because, like, I've had some parishioners ask for that. And I find it hard—not because I—like, we have a school in my parish, and I can preach to the school. It's— Whatever the majority of the audience is, that's mm-hmm. what I find it's very easy for me to focus yeah. on. So, or maybe, yeah, I got to I gotta figure that out a bit because I think it, it, it sounds like it, it can work. It's a very simple thing to do. Yeah. And, and if you, and once the adults realize that you're sharing it with them too, yeah. it's it's really not just for the kids. Right. I mean, I, I yeah. preached at Children's Homily in LA to one two-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> he had no idea what I was saying the whole time. Like the funny faces I was making was all he cared about, you know, but, but the adults would just, you know, told me later on, thought that was great. And I was like, yeah. thanks. And right. it was cool. just, it was all a show for them, but it also, you know, right. taught them. Cool. So, uh, my question is to set it up. So. When someone's coming into the Roman Catholic Church, there should be like a culture of Roman Catholicism. And that's something I think a lot of guys are rebuilding, but it's kind of mild. So you're coming to the church. We really don't ask much of you. Go to confession once a year. Don't eat meat on Fridays. Uh, We have a few holy days of obligation. If you mess that up, you can go to confession, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an easy cultural change. And I think that should be adjusted Mm -hmm. a little bit. But to go from where you're at, to go from a, you know, a Californian to a Byzantine, that's a much bigger change because, uh, um, like, your fasts are a little different, and some yeah. of your things are a little different, and a little more extreme and much more countercultural. Yeah. Do you find that to be uh, difficult when evangelizing and bringing people into yeah. the church through the Eastern Church? Yeah. Um, yes, and I think that there is a certain one thing I had to get over early on in my ministry was that this is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church kind of is for everybody. I mean, it really is. Like, you, it doesn't matter where you're from, but in the Byzantine tradition, it is so different that you have to say, "I might, I might get a hundred people coming, and ten of them might come after afterwards and say." Father, what can I do next? You know, and you just have to be used to that smaller population, which is why we're here, which is why we have two churches, why we have, you know, East and West, et cetera. But, um, but so pretty much, but I still have this, I think you and I chatted on Twitter about this one time about what do you have other than liturgy or other than mass that attracts people in. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that right now we want to go to the older tradition of, um, if I meet someone out at a bar, either they're falling away Catholic or they're not, they've never been Catholic in their life. If they want to come to church, 
then I say, okay, you can actually leave after the homily and we're going to have someone go with you and have coffee and donuts mm. early and answer your questions. That's a good idea. And so, like so there's, like they, they come in the church, they get beautiful singing, they get the word of God, they get a homily, which is very American evangelical, yeah, that, that, that's right? That's say that's an evangelical yeah. service. <laughs> and, and, and then they leave. They, then they get a Q&A with someone yeah. who's knowledgeable right. and they get coffee and donuts early and then everybody else comes in later right. and then at some point when they have times they're going to go, I actually want to see the rest. Like yeah. I, I, But then they've decided to see the rest yeah. you're, you haven't forced them into it yeah. so that 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 what i see is, like is a kind of a transition point in but in denver in uh, now in la I, I just bought some lights for outside i just bought a, a patio heater things like that to actually get people to come to other events so we're mm. gonna have like a we have a beautiful shrine to the mother of god um we're gonna we're gonna start an event where we, people come in the evening or a brunch there's a lot a lot of people in the entertainment industry who work um, you know, waiting tables at night so they can actually come to brunch hmm. easier. So we're gonna have a brunch one week, dinner one week, and then they come to those things. They find the community, mm-hmm. they feel precious, you know, the, and then, then there's the Holy Spirit moves them to there into something more. And but the, the interesting thing about the East, and we do have obligation, but the, it's kind of a weird Eastern Western mindset thing. In the West, the, the, you tend to say, and I'm just talking about culture, you tend to say, here's the bare minimum. And then do more than that. In the East, you say, here's the monastic ideal. Do as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And so you you need a spiritual father kind of saying what you can do because people get so scrupulous in the West that if you said, here's the ideal, we would always be yell- mad at ourselves. <laughs> but in the East, it's more of a the monks and the nuns are, are perfect. If I can get there and if my spiritual father can guide me to say where and that, so there's no there's no bare minimum. So you can say, you're starting out way down here. There's nothing that's really this obligated of you, but this is what you're working towards and let, let me just, you know, walk with you, you know, yeah. uh, to, to that point so you can see where you get. So if you can portray that a little bit better and to say you're going to want those levels once, you know, Christ grabs a hold of your yeah. heart, you know, more. So it's a little bit different mentality when it comes to that as well. Hmm. Um, so we touched on it briefly early on in uh, Presbyteral Exhortations, but you talked about the rule change as far as now Byzantine Catholic priests in America can mm-hmm. be married. But the tradition for since the beginning has been right. there's been married and yes. unmarried priests, right? So, mm-hmm. so um, do, you, do you know a little bit about the history of that? Like, because it's it, yeah. um, the Eastern Catholic Church has has had a rough time in the U.S. Yeah. So, do you want to talk a little bit about sure. that? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, so, um, in the in the early church and even up until you know, probably the heyday was between four hundred and and seventeen fifty. You you had in the cultures that were Byzantine, you had parishes and you had monasteries. Mm-hmm. If you've read Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, you'll see that 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 every major town had a monastery. So for your public sacraments, I'll call them mm-hmm. marriage, baptism, and you went to the your married priest and and he's the one that trained you in marriage, he's the one that trained you for your baptism, he had his own kids. So but for your private sacraments like confession for the non-sacraments like spiritual direction, you always went to the celibate mm-hmm. because the celibate was considered closer to God than even in a sense more holy and perfect. So you went to confession and spiritual direction to him. So same thing with like a middle of the night call to the hospital. You went to the monks mm-hmm. and they would be available to go out. So it didn't dis- disturb the family life as much as people think it might when you had both those working in tandem. Um, so, but you, your spiritual father was at the monastery. So the celibates lived in community there and the married men lived in community in their families and it worked really well together. Now with, with the father of monasticism in many ways um, you don't have that much anymore Mm -hmm. but what happened was is in in around 1890 um, a big immigration came from ukraine slovakia romania with all these married priests Um, well of course we didn't have mass media nearly as well at the time so a couple bishops especially bishop john ireland in minneapolis st paul um, heard about 
these married priests, he was afraid that this was going to scandalize the Roman Catholics. So he wrote to Rome and asked Rome to outlaw married priesthood only in North America. And Rome said yes. <laughs> and we lost three quarters of our Whoa. people to the Orthodox overnight. Whoa. Yeah. So almost like the OCA church, I mean, most of the Orthodox churches, I will say that I'm, I'm probably, that's probably an exaggeration. Many of the Orthodox churches in the U.S. used to be Byzantine Catholic. Wow. Yeah. And they all left back then. And then the question came up again in 1930. It was reiterated by Rome. You cannot have married priests in the U.S. It's too much of a melting pot. It'll scandalize the Romans. So we lost it. I mean, it was amplified again. We lost a bunch of more Orthodox then. So it wasn't until probably five, six years ago when Pope Francis was able to kind of and Cardinal Dolan was one of our biggest heroes in this too he really pushed to have this reestablished re- force even much more than our own bishops mm. and so and, and Pope Francis just finally said yep you you can have so in other words it's we call the married priesthood, but it's married men can be ordained priests right, right. once you're ordained you're 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 yeah. what you were it's a yeah, commitment, yeah, yeah. the commitment is done um, so that that's that history so for many many years for 100 years all the Byzantine priests in the US especially as Ruthenians were celibate mm. um, so it's it's now coming back but um, but many, there are many priests that we brought over or many married deacons who are getting ordained priests. So there's a lot of that. It's not going to solve the vocations problem. People right. think that's going to happen in the West. It is, it is not for us. It is not for the Protestants. It's not going to solve the problem. But um, it, it is re- reinvigorating that ancient tradition. So if you're listening to this, say a quick prayer that monasticism increases along with the married priesthood. Mm-hmm. If we have all these married priests but not enough celibates, we're, we're, we're lopsided again. You know, right. We, right. we've been lopsided one direction. We'll be lopsided the other one. We need good monks. We need good celibates who want to live in community and pray for the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's one thing that's tied together a lot of what you said, what you're doing in the parish, what the tradition uh, was back then. It's that it's this entire Catholic community, all these parts, one yeah. body working and supporting and complementing each other. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to get back to. Yep. Mm-hmm. And another thing too, regarding monasticism, um, in the Byzantine church, we call every fully professed nun mother. Oh yeah. And it's beautiful because <laughs> yeah. you have like, Fathers have a fatherly role in the church. Yeah. Mothers have a motherly role in the church. And if you have these female monasteries near the cities, you have your spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. There's really not a big push for female priesthood in the East. Yeah. I, yeah. I think because of that, because yeah, there's yeah. A very explicit mothers of the church, and these are these celibate women who, if I walk into Mother Theodora's in, in Cleveland, if I walk into her convent, she gives me a blessing. I put my mm-hmm. hand out, and she blesses with her hand, and I kiss her hand. Like, like that's her area, and she's the mother of it. Yeah. There are some similar things in the West, though, too. Like... Um, if you go to um, um, Benedictine monasteries for women, the abbess always has a crozier. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is like so, and and this is a motherly role and everything. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's really, it's it's really quite neat actually. It's because she has that authority over those mm-hmm. people, right? So it's 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 there. It's just we gotta, you're like you said, we gotta just kind of pull it out some more and yeah. make it more obvious. Most people just don't even know that exists. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cool. Well, hopefully, you know, exists a little bit more now yeah. through the podcast. Yeah. Uh, any other final questions for Father Mike? I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm like, I got, <laughs> my brain is empty right now. Father <laughs> yeah. Mike, this was great. Thank was you great. so Thank much you for being so on the podcast. podcast. Thank you. And if, if you guys are listening, you'll pray for me in the podcast world. Um, I did have a, a fan of Catholic stuff now that I'm off that podcast technically, although I am going back to Denver for our 10 year anniversary next week. Um, but. Um, I am going to be starting a new one. I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but um, an old fan is buying me a studio for YouTube as well. So we'll have something in L.A. with not only sound, but also video um, coming up hopefully in the next year. So I have a couple names in mind I'll share with you guys after off the air, but... um, But it, it should be so. Keep 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 your eye on Catholic stuff on our, our new stuff, and I'll I'll post it there when I'm able to. So keep please pray for it. And where can they up. find you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter is at um, Padre Michael O. Cool. There yeah. you go. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Once you figure out what's going on, we're definitely going to plug 
You awesome. Yeah, thank you. That'd be great. That'd be great. Thank cool. you. Thank you. So thank you for listening to the podcast. We are brought, We are recording live. That's always a fun little thing. Yeah. We're recording, but it's live. And, and in and, person. And in, in person. person from Phoenix, Arizona for SLS 20. It's uh, Focus Missionary, that group. They do wonderful things. It's a great thing to be part of them. We're glad they invited us. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast, which I already said. This is what happens when we don't have a script producer, Nick. Um, I love you. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> no, no. Tell your enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. Find me at Fr Harrison. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, all the places you can find your your podcasts. Please leave a review that helps people find us. Uh, we're on Facebook and uh, Clerical Speaking, uh, Twitter at Clerical Pod. We're we're all over the place. And you can email us clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Peace. God bless.